Well, I had somebody, I was reading from somebody this past week, and they talked about 2020, they were chalking it up as a mulligan. And, uh, and I, you know, I, there's a lot of things, sports I like, but one of those I can't stand is golf. Okay. In fact, my son's here back from college for the week. He asked me if I wanted to go play golf. And I told him I'd rather get an enema than go play golf. Um, because I end up getting worse at every hole and, and then I just lose my faith by the, by the end. And so it's never a good thing. Uh, so, but mulligans, you know, I, I like mulligans now. I do like that concept. Uh, and so I actually did a little bit of research on trying to figure out where did they come from? I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm kind of nerdy on the, on the history side. I like studying history. And so I looked up where mulligans came from. And there's several theories out there, but one of those is that David Mulligan, appropriately named, an amateur golfer, uh, a, a, a Biltmore uh, Hotel New York City manager in the 1920s, went out golfing with his buddies and shanked one and then just right there on, on the tee put down another ball. His friends looked at him and said, what are you doing? You know, you just, you just hit that ball. That's, that's your ball. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to take a correction shot. And, and I, and, and from that point forward, his friends called it a mulligan. So that's, that's your bit of history today that has nothing to do with life other than we would all like to take a mulligan, right? 2020 a mulligan or maybe yesterday was a mulligan, whatever. Sometimes we go through seasons of life and we need a mulligan. The problem with mulligan mentality is that you never get the true time back. You don't get days back because you wasted a day. You don't get relationships back if you have a bad relationship. You know, so you literally call it a mulligan if you will, but that mulligan mentality only works maybe on a golf course. And only if your buddies that are golfing with you will let you do that. And uh, so life isn't a mulligan. But if you're going to shoot a mulligan out there in life, the only way you can really make full use of a mulligan is to fix the problem. Otherwise, you're going to tee up again and you're going to do the same thing that you did the last time. I can remember one time when I was trying to like to play golf. I literally emptied my, I was the only one on this little golf course, little nine hole links apartment golf course. I was the only one out there and I pulled up to this body of water, not a big body of water, but enough that I lost every one of my golf balls in that body of water. And so I was done for the day. And again, that's just the story of my golfing game. So if you don't correct the shot, then you will probably repeat that same shot. So what's the correction? If you're going to take a mulligan in a life, in a relationship, in a job, whatever, what's the correction? I want to challenge you today that if you're going to go in some new direction, I would encourage you to go within the blessed life. Now, that sounds very churchy, right? The blessed life. But I really want to emphasize that because it's not my coining, okay? It's not my invention. Um, the blessed life. What, what is the blessed life? What does it mean? What does it look like? I will say this. It's a full and fulfilling life. It's a meaning and substance, mission and purpose kind of life. It is a, a, a life of meaning and purpose and fulfilling and, 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 and mission and purpose. There's so many things to that that makes you, when you finish life, when you finish a year, when you finish a season, you go back, I'm glad I'd do it all over again. And I wouldn't change a thing. The blessed life. 
You've got to understand this word because in the Old Testament it's used only 415 times. It's used 415 times. It's the Hebrew word barak. And you've got to really lean in on it. But whenever you look at it in the scriptures, you've got to understand it in its totality before we come back to Genesis is where we'll be today. Whenever you look at David's prayers, there's many times that he prays the blessing. That he wants the blessing, he prays the blessing, and you, you really got to own that blessing and know that blessing. Because the blessing literally means, this is my definition, is it means to confer the fullness of life. To give the fullness of life to someone. So Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5, this is, this is what David prayed when he prayed for the blessing. And if I could give you any singular passage of Scripture to kind of put your arms around, what does the blessed life look like, feel like, act like? They would be the prayer of David as he's praying the blessing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless, it's the Hebrew word Barak. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he goes into that, what that blessing means. Forgetting not his benefits, who forgives your iniquities, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with a steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good, and your youth is renewed like the eagle. You want a blessed life? You want a correction? You want to live a mulligan life? Then let's correct to something. Let's correct to a blessed life, one that is full. And here's just a quick list of them, if you want to zero in on them. The fact that God gives benefits to this blessed life. It is a forgiveness kind of life. Remember that marriage is praying for forgiveness? Well, let's live a blessed marriage and let's see what that feels like, looks like. Heals our diseases, redeems us from the pit. Anybody, don't raise your hand, anybody ever been in a pit before? Maybe not literally, but emotionally in a pit of depression and despair. Steadfast love. Not this herky-jerky, feel-good kind of milk-toast love. Steadfast love. Steadfast love and mercy. Satisfies you in a world of discontentment. Material gain is never enough. Satisfies you and renews you like the eagle's. So when Aaron and I talk about blessed in this message, you just need to be thinking about one of these. He's, he's redeeming me from the pit. He's for, talking about forgiveness of my iniquities. This is the totality of a blessed life. So when I talk about correcting or do, taking a mulligan on life, then let's go here. Now, let's now go to Genesis because you got to understand, though it's used over 400 times in the scripture, it's used three times in one chapter. Genesis chapter 1, and you just remember this from our study that we just completed in the origin series, that in Genesis chapter 1, he talks about blessing all creation, blessing uh, blessing the earth. He talks about blessing the seventh day of the week. He talks about blessing a, a husband and wife as they come together in marriage. He talks about blessing them that they might multiply. There's so many ways in the very first chapters of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, where the blessing is given when God created this world in his origin, in his original design, it was to be a blessed world. That's why that entire series that we just finished was about getting back to the origin, getting back to, to the blessing as God originally designed it. But then chapter three came along 
And mankind stepped out from living the blessed life to living the cursed life. And you can read all about that again if you want to go back and review it. I can't take the time, but you'll just have to take my word for it today. But here's a life principle that comes out of that. And I'm going to give you several life principles today. When I choose to live outside of God's will, it was a choice for Adam and Eve. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. You see they don't even consult God. When I choose to live outside of God's will, I choose to live outside of God's blessing. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If I choose to live outside, if I make that choice that I'm going to do my own way and not God's way, God's original design, that's fine. You can do it. You can do it. And you can live with the consequences of it. Abram is a guy that we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk about him for the next couple of months because Abraham is right smack dab in the middle of Genesis. It's 2,000 years after Adam and Eve and 300 years after uh, Noah, so that's kind of a timeline, if you will. And we're looking at the man named Abram. He's introduced to us, and he is introduced in, a, in, in probably one of the most critical passages of Scripture in all of the Old Testament. So let me just put it like to you like that, just to up the bar on what we're going to look at today. And Abram was a person who is called by God out of the curse, in the curse. We're all in the curse. We're still living in the curse. But the reality is that God is calling us out of that cursed life and into the blessed life. And he's going to call Abram, who's going to be also, later on, he's going to be named Abraham, and we'll get to that later on in the weeks ahead. But we're going to find that Abram lived a blessed life. He was considered the father of the, uh, of the faith. Three religions of the world, over 50% of the world, 56% of the world identify in these three major religions of the world, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all point back to Abram as the father of their faith. That's how significant he is as a figure, as an individual. So when you think about Abraham, you think about that. He's also called in Genesis the prince of God. You can mark that down, Genesis chapter 23, verse 6. So you, when you just think about who is Abram, he is the prince of God. He's the father of the faith, of many different faiths. He's also considered in James chapter 2, verse 3, which is where we get the series title, he's called a friend of God. Now, it might seem, oh, well, he's a super saint, a person. He is not perfect. Listen, friendship with God, jot this down, big, plain, and straight. Friendship with God is not a perfect friendship. It's a faithful friendship. It's not perfect. It's faithful. And we're going to see him up and down because he lived a blessed life, but he also lived an imperfect life. He becomes complacent in his calling at times. He makes fear-based decisions. He questions God, even laughs at the face of God. His wife does the same thing. So they're kind of uh, two peas in a pod. Compromises his own marriage. We're going to see that he was not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. He even struggled at times telling the simple truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Is Abram a friend of God? Yes. Is he a perfect person? Absolutely not. Is he a blessed person who was faithful in his relationship? Yes. And we're going to unpack and unravel again all of the ups and downs and the ins and outs of that. Abram appears on the scene in our Bibles. We find the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be. But you're going to find that when we, you look at this passage that he's 75 years old. 
okay? 75 years old. It's the first time we even hear his name mentioned. And so 75 years old. When, when most people are out buying Winnebago's and moving to Sarasota, God has a call on his life. God has a plan, has a bigger vision for his life than maybe he had for his own life. Let, let, let that sink in. God had a bigger vision for his life than maybe he had for his own life. Does God have a bigger vision for your life than you have for your own life? At 75, he is given a promise to God by God that he is going to father a nation, that his name will be great, that his, his descendants will be like the sands of the sea. I mean, that's how big he's going to be. But listen to this. He's 75 years old, married to a barren woman named Sarah. And he's supposed to father a nation? Go figure that. How's that going to happen? How's this, again, God has a bigger vision for his life than his own, than his own vision. Look at chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. This is where you find the blessing. You're not going to find it once, twice, three times. You're going to find it five times in three verses. Now, let me just remind you for, for impact, okay? The word blessing has not been used outside of Genesis chapter 9 over Noah, one individual, God gives, talks about the blessing. But for 2,000 years, the blessing has not been mentioned since Adam and Eve and they were in the Garden of Eden. So I just want to point that out. Why is that so significant? Because there's the blessed life and then there's the cursed life. And now what God is going to do is he's going to work on redeeming us back to the blessed life. If we understand what his calling is here. So the word blessing is reintroduced to the scriptures. Verse, verse one, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Every time you see the word blessing, every time you see the word I will, notice that this is God initiating a covenant relationship with, with, with Abram that will be ratified later on. We'll get to that later on. But notice all the I wills, notice all the blessings again and again in those verses. Verse three, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and I will dishonor those I will curse you. Those who dishonor you, I will curse you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There Again, we are looking at probably the most critical passage of Scripture. When you think about blessing, curse, and now back to blessing, How? what's going on here? Because this is a pivotal point now. That we're going to see in scripture, that we're going to see throughout from Genesis to Revelation. That's how, that's how long this is going to go. It's going to, it's going to live to the very end of time, our time and in the time of our, of our great grandkids. 
And so we're still living in this, in this redeemed blessing, this, this redemption of a blessing. And so let us understand that, that this is huge. In fact, the, the bar mitzvahs of today, a Jewish bar mitzvah, will read from this passage of Scripture. It's so significant. What does it mean to live a blessed life? We ought to be looking at that and be asking, what does it mean to live a blessed life versus a cursed life? What does it mean to be blessed in this world versus cursed in this world? And I think you see it whenever you see God calling Abram. One is, here's realities of a blessed life. One, jot it down, is that when you break from your broken past. When you break from your broken past, you will not be able to move with freedom into the future. When we're still held to the bondage and the brokenness of the past. When you look at uh, when you look at Abram's life, and you go back to chapter eleven, actually, you go to the sixth book of generations. Just if you're keeping count, and I referred to that in the first part of this series of through Genesis, that it says in Genesis chapter twenty twenty uh, chapter eleven verse twenty seven says, "Now these are the generations of Terah." There are different generational books. This is the sixth, if you're keeping count, of the generational books that are mentioned in uh, Genesis. Uh, Terah fathered here three boys, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Now, that's just for context, but I want you to see that Abram had a couple of brothers. He was probably the oldest brother and, uh, uh, of the three. And, Heber, uh, and Haran is actually going to die uh, later on in the passage. We won't deal with that. But we're going to come back to Haran in Lot in, 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 the, in, in the moments ahead and the weeks ahead. But I just want you to see the context. Terah is not mentioned anymore in Scripture. This is it. He's gone. Why? Because there's a new faith in town. There's a new faith in town and a, and a monotheistic God. There is one God, and we're getting rid of all this pluralism of gods, all these many gods. Because, see, Terah grew up in, or actually raised, uh, raised Abram in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was, is modern-day Iraq, if you will. And that's where, the, if you just think about Iraq and you think about the Middle East, think about where, where Ur might be in the middle of the country along the river Euphrates. I know everyone knows their geography and has, has studied this uh, right before coming in here today. But if you go to the river Euphrates, you're going to find Ur, okay, right in the middle of that. So why is that important? Because Ur is where the Tower of Babel was. It's believed to be the Tower of Babel. There were several ziggurats, as they call them in archaeology, that have been found and uncovered and, and re- reconfigured. That that was probably the place where that was. And what they did in that place is they worshipped the moon god. Named Sin, ironically. And in that entire region, they worshipped these, these pantheon of gods, these mythical gods. And what happens now is God calls Abram out of the brokenness of a, of a idolistic worshipping family. Terah the dad is leading them in that direction, calls them out to follow him. And where he goes from there is they move from Ur to Haran. Now, again, you don't know where Haran is, but it's right on the modern-day border of Turkey and Syria. And it also was a community that worshipped the moon god. 
So whenever they moved, they moved from Ur up northwest to, to Haran where they worshiped the moon god. That's not where God was calling him. God is going to call them out of that kind of lifestyle. Now look at verse 31. Just for context, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and, and his son, Abram's wife, and they went together from Ur, again, modern-day Iraq, up to the border of where? Of, uh, of Syria and, and Turkey to go into the land of Canaan. But, 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 circle the word but, when they came to Haran, they settled there. They were on the pathway to God's will, but they settled, settled there in Haran. This is where I talk about Abram compromising God's will a little bit. God calls him from Ur to Cana, but he stops in Haran. And he will stay there until his father dies there. And this is what I want to point out, is that we must realize that we can't, you can't, I can't move forward until I'm ready to leave the past. I can't move into the future until I'm ready to leave the past. And what he was stuck was in this, in this idolatry worship and God is calling him out to follow him. And there's so many times that we settle in the land of brokenness because that's all we know. We grew up with patterns of sin in our life and what we do, we grow up and we raise our own family in the same patterns of sin. Generational sins get passed down from one generation to the next because we don't break from the past. We settle in that. We settle in the land of brokenness. We settle in the bad character and we don't get out of it. Some of you right now, listen, 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 you're settling while God's calling. You're settling while God's calling you out. Out of brokenness and you're settling because you're comfortable. It's because it's all you know. Maybe you've settled into a bad, another bad relationship. Another bad career. Another bad fill in the blank. And you can't get free from that because you settle in that kind of pattern. Next week, we're going to have Gary Thomas. You won't hear me say this again. It'll be next Saturday night. So when we won't hear me say this again, we're going to have a, a, a seminar just on when to walk away. And it's not just walking away from toxic relationships. It's walking away from toxic backgrounds of our life. Maybe generational sins that we've been carrying through life. It's on Saturday night. It's going to be here. If you're interested, sign up for it online. That's all I'm going to say about that. But see what happens is God called him. If you remember, don't miss this. In, uh, in, 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 um, God calls him to leave his kindred, verse one, leave his kindred and his father's house. Leave his kindred and his father's house. He called him away from that idolatrous lifestyle. And he gets stuck in that idolatrous lifestyle. Because what happens next in verse 4 is he moves out and he takes Lot with him. Now all I want to say about this, because I'm going to say more later, is taking Lot with him was compromising God's call. He told him to leave his kindred, leave his father's house, leave that lifestyle, leave those generational sins, 
And he settled in Haran to start with. And number two, he didn't leave Lot behind. And you're going to notice when you read this story that Lot will be an ever-present problem in Abram's life from this point forward. If God tells you something, it's because he's trying to lead you to a blessed life. If you do his will, you can enter a blessed life. If you do your own will, you'll deal with a cursed life. That's why when Paul was preaching the Gospels, he would always call people to repentance toward God, Acts 20, verse 21. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptismal service, and I always love those because they're times of celebration of people who are repenting toward God, turning toward God, and putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So are you ready to move from brokenness Are you settling for another generation, for another decade in the patterns of brokenness? Number two, you move to an adventurous future. You've moved to an adventurous future. I love the pioneer missionary of, of Hudson Taylor. And you look at his history. And in, in, in 1856, at 51 years, he serves in China. As he's there, whenever there weren't planes, trains, and automobiles to get you there. He waited a year and prayed for a team of people. And over 20, 20 people went out with him to, to China. And they set up shop and lived the life of the Chinese people who did not know the, the name of Jesus and end up spending their life there. 800 missionaries later, 125 schools started, 18,000 new followers of Jesus. Listen, if anybody ever tells you that following Jesus is boring, they don't know what they're talking about. Hudson Taylor said this, unless there's an element of risk in your Christian life, there is no need for faith. Where's the risk? If you look back at that passage, look at chapter 12, verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from the country, from your kindred. I got to point that out already. And he takes Lot with him in his father's house, takes Lot with him to the land that I will show you. Wait, wait, God, you didn't tell me where. Give me the plan. Give me the roadmap. Give me the timeline. Give me the budget. Give me it all. I want it up front, God. Listen, I don't even see a show of hands. If you're the person who wants to have all that planned out before you go anywhere. But God said, hey, listen, I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. And if you look at that's a pattern in scripture. Jesus called his disciples in Matthew. He calls them to just follow him. Just follow me. He didn't tell them where you're going to go. Well, where are we going to go, Jesus? What are we going to do when we get there, Jesus? How are we going to pay when we get No, you just follow him. See, whenever you go with God, it is an adventurous life. I love the way Hebrews 11, 8 says it. He says, he went out not knowing where he was going. That's where he went. I don't know where I'm going. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 8. Because what is it? The whole Christian faith is built on the very premise of faith. Without faith, you got to have faith. You're saved by grace through faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Habakkuk says, righteous shall live by his faith. 
Faith is just a part of the Christian life. We don't have all the answers and we don't have all the solutions and we don't have all the plans and we, we don't. We don't have all the plans because it's not up to us. We're following. We're not leading. Too many of us want to lead and not follow. See, the blessed life leads us to a life of following in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I spent this past week jotting down different times in my life that literally I had to take my next step, not knowing what the next step, where my foot was going to land. And I counted, as of this morning, because I kept adding, 22 different times from the time that I was in high school to, to this day of big decisions Things that would affect me, things that would affect my family, that literally I did not know what was going to be underneath it. But I just knew, I only knew one thing God was saying to take that next step. So what about you? If you're bored with your Christian faith, that's not on God, that's on you. Because he calls us to a life of adventure. He calls us to break free from the broken past. That's a blessed life. He calls us to move in adventurous future. But he also calls us to join God on his mission. What did I say? The fulfilled life is not only of, uh, of uh, or the blessed life is not only a full, full life, it's a fulfilling life. It's, it's not only one that's about me, it's also about me being on mission and having a purpose. That I get to join God in his mission. That it's about him. Now, again, go back to verse 2 when he said this. He said, I, I will make you a great nation. And I love this next statement. I will make you and make your name great. If you have your Bibles, put in the margin of your Bibles, verse, chapter 11, verse 4. And go back and reread what Lori shared a few weeks ago because it, she talked about how those people were building the Tower of Bible to make a name for themselves. And what does God do? He turns her right around and confuses the whole situation and it's a, it's a big hot mess. But then he comes to Abram and he says, listen, if you'll go with me to a land that you don't know about, to the unknown that you don't know about, I'm going to make your name great. So they wanted to make their name great for themselves. God said, I will make your name great. But why was he going to make his name great? So that you will be a blessing. <laughs> There's a purpose clause here, okay? Why is God going to do all of this in Abraham? Abram, why is he going to show so much favor to him? Is it all because he wants to make his life warm and fuzzy and happy and fed and, and fat and sassy? No. It's so that you will be a blessing. That's the purpose of it all. See, God does what he does to bless our life so that we can turn around and bless other people. If you, if you think about it like this, think about there's substance to our mission. There's a substance to it. And the blessing, here's a life principle. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And so it's not just about ourselves; It's about the substance of our message. Avery Willis Henry Blackaby said it like this, for every top line blessing, there's a bottom line responsibility. 
What I need to be thinking about when I'm thinking about the blessing of God blessing my life is not so I could just, again, be warm, happy, and fed. It's that how can I take what God has done in my life, blessed my life, how can I take, again, go back to those very words, the forgiveness of my iniquities and help somebody else find forgiveness in their iniquities? How can I get myself, God took me out of this pit, he redeemed me out of this pit, who can I go over here and help out of their pit? You see the blessing here? I get blessed so that I can turn around and bless others. Who, who, who do I know in my world that needs steadfast love? They're living in this world of conditional feel-good love, and they are lost without steadfast love and mercy. Who do I know? So the calling of the mission of God is not just simply going on a trip on a plane and get a stamp in your passport and a photo made at an orphanage. Who do I know in this world or who do I not know in this world that needs the same blessing that God has blessed me with? And that's the person I go to. That's the substance of our, of our message. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8 and 9. Listen to this. God proclaimed the good news, the gospel. God proclaimed the good news to Abraham. When did he do that? Long ago when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. So God preached the good news, the gospel to Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed through you. And now notice this next statement. So that all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received from being, from because of his faith. This is why a relationship with Jesus is inseparable to a life of blessing. If you don't know Jesus today, my friend, you need to know him. Because this is the substance of our mission. This is the substance of our message. This is what gives us a meaning and purpose in life. This is what truly brings blessing to us. But I don't want you just to see, again, the, 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 the substance of our, our mission. I want you to see the scope of our mission as well. Because he's in the land of Ur when he first hears this calling of God. He moves to Haran because dad says that's where we're going. And he listens to his dad even though he's what, 70 plus years old by now. He's still living under dad's generational sins. And, 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 but God's calling him to Cana down south. That's 1,100 miles. That's not an easy track. And it's certainly outside of his comfort zone. But God calls him out of his comfort zone. God calls him to a foreign land. God calls him to a dis- distant place. Why? So that he as a blessed person, would be a blessing to those who don't have the blessing. Verse 3, it says, All the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And listen, if you didn't hear it once, you're going to hear it four other times in Genesis as you read through Genesis where he's going to call all the families of the earth. Go ahead and put that slide up, guys. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, All the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. Offspring of all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He's going to call it again and again and again. All the nations, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. But listen, this is not just a Genesis thing. I told you this is Genesis to Revelation. 
That God has given us this mission as blessed people to take our mission, our message, our, 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 this blessed life and give it to those who don't have the blessing. Psalm 22 verse 27 says that this, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the ends of the earth and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. I want you to notice the theme here. It's not just so I can be blessed, so I can bless others, but there's also going to be this blessing manifestation in worship. Because you're going to also see in Psalm 86, verse 9, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Listen, worship that doesn't lead to mission is impotent. Missions that doesn't lead to worship is shallow. Missions and worship go hand in hand. Isaiah 52, I just want to show you just a few more. The ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See the calling? This didn't happen in Matthew. This is the Great Commission. This didn't happen just in Matthew. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. That those who are blessed would be a blessing to those who are not yet know the blessing of God. 24, Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now we we'll skip over some other verses. Let's go to Revelation chapter 7. I said Genesis to Revelation. It says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude no one could number. From every nation, all the tribes and the peoples and the languages are standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes. And palm branches in their hand crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Do you see this? We are blessed to be a blessing to people who have never experienced the blessing. We're not blessed just for ourselves. And I love what Abram does. Finally, from the settled life of living in Haran or Ur, look at verse 4. So Abram went. He just went. Wherever God told him to go, he went. Where did he end up? And you can go on and read it, and I don't have time to read it, but he just starts marching down through Syria, down through Lebanon, about 400 miles. If he'd walk 20 miles a day, it'd take him a month to get there. And he's just marching down, and he gets down to the, down to the promised land of Canaan, where the Canaanites were living. And he starts marching in, and he reaches the, the, the city of Shechem. And what he does, it, it, look, 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 look carefully at verse, uh, at verse 5. And Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem in the oak of Marah. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram. This time it's a theophany. He actually appears to him. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, you are the offspring. I will give you this land. And what does Abram do? So he built an altar to the Lord. Again, worship and mission go hand in hand, walking hand in hand together. And then you go on and you read in the next verse. And from that, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel, which is down near Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is today. And he pitched his tent with Bethel, which means house of God, by the way, and on the west of Ai, of Ai on the east. And there he built an altar. I want you to notice what, what Abram does. He hears the call of God. He 
he gets a little bit deterred in Haran, but he answers the call of God and he starts marching. And everywhere he stops, he builds an altar. He starts claiming that land for God. He, started, he didn't use the Canaanite altars. He started claiming that land for God. Listen, I don't know what your vision is for your life. I don't know what, where you are on the timetable of your life. But I hope that you have a bigger vision for yourself than just what the common American dream is. I can remember when Lori and I were in our 20s and we moved into our very first house after living in three apartments. Apartment living is okay for a while, but when you start hearing people above you and below you and around you and and then they start hearing you, it's like, okay, we're living a little close. And so we're so glad to get into our first house. And I can remember I felt like I'm living the American dream. We have we don't have a white picket fence. We had a chain link fence, but man, we had a home. We could raise our kids, have a family. That was the dream for my life. It was a house, a home for my family. But then God had a bigger dream, had a bigger vision. I was like, I want to pastor this village, this this town, this community. That's my dream. And then God takes me to the Ukraine two years after the fall of communism. And he showed me an entire city of Kiev. Then he took me to another city in Shatomer. People who never even heard of the name of Jesus. And I said, how can I live in my blessed world when there's other people who don't even know about the blessing? How can I justify telling one person twice when some people haven't had the chance to hear of Jesus once. And it changed the paradigm of my life. Are you living a blessed life or a cursed life? If you don't know of that forgiveness, if you don't know of being rescued from the pit, if you don't know of what it means to walk and live in steadfast love, I invite you first to enter into the blessed life. And let Jesus become your Lord. The same, as you were, the same gospel that Abraham heard, Paul's preaching, I'm sharing with you today, it is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Do you know him? If you're living the blessed life, are you living a vision that's your size or something that's God's size? And I don't know what that means for you. Maybe moving your family. It may mean just making yourself available to go across the street to a neighbor. But you have a blessing, not just to keep you warm, happy, and fed, but you have a blessing to give it to other people who don't have the blessing. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are a good, good father. So, so good that, Father, in spite of all of our brokenness, you rescue us. You give us hope and life. You give us a future. You give us a rope to get out of the pit. You give us forgiveness from our iniquities. You give us steadfast love. These are the benefits of a blessed life. You give us a renewing, a sustainable energy. You give us contentment. 
that this world cannot offer us. You are a good, good Father. And we worship you today because we can and because we should. But we worship you, Lord, so that when we go from here, we will truly live sent to a world who doesn't know you. You're a good Father. In Jesus' name, would you stand and sing with us?